In the midst of trying to manage the unmanageable, I was doing everything I could to manage it, and it, it took a toll on me. You think, oh my God, am I ever going to get through this? But when you look back, you look at all the things that really stressed you out, and they were funny. Hi, I'm Bobby. And I'm her husband, Mike. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. And since then, I've become a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. And I was a secondary caregiver for my father. And since that time, I've become a certified caregiver advocate. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights and share some emotional support, and maybe even a laugh or two because we all know that Laughing is, in fact, the best medicine. Don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, don't forget the wine, you bet. Well, today we welcome Danelle LeBlanc, and Danelle is a certified senior advisor and caregiving consultant. Thank you so much for joining us today, Danelle. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Bobby and Mike, and congratulations on your new podcast. I'm so excited for you guys. Well, you can imagine that we are, too. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I was I was uh, going over the guest list yesterday and doing a little more refining about what I know about each of the guests that we're, we're going to be having on our podcast, and I discovered that you were a caregiver for your father-in-law also, yeah. and you were dealing with Parkinson's disease, and we had that too. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and maybe um, mention um, Diagnosis Day and what that was like for you? Sure. Yes. I think that we had actually connected about that last year when we met at the National Caregiving Conference at dinner. And that was one of the things that really connected us was that uh, in caring for our father-in-law, it's a little bit of a different experience. Um, For me, my father-in-law was diagnosed with Parkinson's before I'd even met him. He, He lived with Parkinson's for over 30 years. And so I met him, I guess it had been seven or eight years after he had been diagnosed. And he was at the time living a few cities away in his own home and was 100% independent. So it wasn't until he moved next door to my husband and our two kids that I really started to experience Um, being a family caregiver. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you specialize in community education for family caregivers. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? So yes, I do work in communities here in North Central Texas, working with family caregivers. And that came from my experience as a caregiver for my father-in-law over a period of 12 years. And during that whole time, I was completely oblivious to the idea of family caregiving and the resources that were available in the community. And so that really what what drives me to help connect people um, throughout North Central Texas to, um, to get connected to resources that are available and to help begin to create their own communities of support where they live. So as an example, this over the past summer, 
I received a grant from the North Central Texas Area Agency on Aging to deliver a training program, which includes um, Denise M. Brown with Caregiving.com, her six stages of caregiving, and I created a care plan to help people address all of the different aspects of caregiving from both the perspective of the family caregiver as well as the care recipient. And so we're talking about everything from medical care to um, social needs, transportation, legal needs, financial care, and also um, in each one of the North Central Texas counties that I visited, I created a unique, customized um, caregiving resource list, and it's a 60-page list, 60-plus page list for each one of the eight counties that I visited over the summer. And so that was a great way to get to know the family caregivers face-to-face and to learn more about um, how we could better help them in the communities where we live. Well, that's a huge undertaking, and I'm sure everybody in your communities that you touch are so grateful to have it. And I understand that your work is inspired by your mom? Yes. My mom, her her name was Genevieve Golden Banks, and so that's kind of where my moniker comes from on caregiving.com when I call myself Golden Daughter. It's from my mom. And... So my mom was a social worker, and she worked. Actually, she actually worked at the Housing and Urban Development Department for over 25 years. And I remember growing up throughout being a young child, as a teenager, and as an adult. My mom was the linchpin in our family, and. Um, was always looking to help others, not only family members, but people in the community. And she was the primary caregiver for my grandmother, who was in her 90s, still living in her own home on her own because my grandfather had passed in Louisiana. And my mom would travel um, over nine and was nine plus hours one way to Louisiana several times a month for years while working full time and to to check on my grandmother and to make sure that she was taken care of. And at the time, my sisters, I have two younger sisters. I, I don't think any of us really realized the tremendous stress and impact that that had on her Physically and emotionally, financially, it was more of something that we we were observing and we were concerned about and we tried to help in any way we could, but we didn't have that, um, we didn't have the personal experience of of what that impact was. And so she um, had moved my grandmother here to Texas. And um, so my grandmother was here with us the last few years of her life. And uh, so it was only after my mom suddenly passed away in 2015, she had a cardiac disease 
that um, none of us knew about, and she passed away suddenly. And it was it was after that that I I really began to understand what she had gone through as I was caring for my father-in-law and the experience intensified. Well, it sounds like your family was a lot like mine. There were several generations of caregivers and a belief, a strong belief that family takes care of family. Um, Now, since your father-in-law had Parkinson's disease, and that's now included in the dementias, um, which was something I wasn't aware of before. And we had this layer of, of mental illness and dementia and Parkinson's disease and, and a number of other issues. Yeah. How are you finding awareness about Parkinson's disease has changed since we started this journey or has it, has it not? Well, I think that one of the catalysts uh, for change is that there are more options for treatment than there were during the time that my father-in-law, when he was first diagnosed, and, and for the majority of his, that 30-plus year time frame. And so, and he wasn't really, by that time, he had developed coping mechanisms in order to deal with it. And he just really wasn't comfortable with, with some of the options for treatment. So I think that's one of the, the big factors. And generally speaking, there are a lot more support groups that are available for people to be able to um, manage the the progression of the disease. So I'm sure you guys have seen um, a lot of the different uh, physical activities that are available, the boxing groups and things like that, where people can get out and do something about the progression of the disease rather than just managing it, um, just managing it with medication. Right. As one who took care of a father-in-law, as you did, I know when I was dealing with the uh, doctors and the nurses and some of, even some of the social workers, they were, uh, they were shocked to find out I was caring for my father-in-law. Everybody assumed it was my father. Um, yes. <laughs> and, um, or I, or else I was a caregiver, you know, some kind of professional in there. Um, did you have that experience as well? So I, I did, Bobby. I did have that experience. So I am African American, and my uh, father-in-law, my husband, are white. And so, um, so although there was no mistaking me as his daughter, <laughs> <laughs> I did, <laughs> I did. Experience um, uh, regularly that uh, that healthcare providers and others when we were out running errands assumed that I was his paid caregiver, mm-hmm. and so um, so that that brought some difficulties and challenges because especially as an advocate for uh, for his health. And when there was a situation where we had to go to the hospital or he was in rehab or there was, you know, some type of medical crisis going on, it, it made it, it made it challenging. And um, so it did. And once they realized I wasn't his daughter, then it came up, 
well, can we even talk to you because there are HIPAA laws in place? Right. Now, we, we did have the medical power of attorney with Right. You know, I, so I could speak to him, but I had to prove that over and over again. Yes. I remember one time I even called the hospital just to make a dental appointment and they weren't going to give it to me because of the HIPAA laws, which was ridiculous. But there, there is a challenge in caring for somebody that's not direct blood. But unique to us, I think, is neither one of us were directly related to Roger. That's correct. Um, he was actually my stepfather. He wasn't my biological father. Okay. It wasn't quite as dramatic because we actually have the same last name. Oh. But there was the um, stepson as opposed to the biological son. Right. And that when and again, people would you say, if he's not related to any either one of you, why are you doing this? Right. And to <laughs> to us, family comes to you in very different ways, and family takes care of family, and we were we were happy to do it. But there are some challenges to that, and one of the things that we want to share with caregivers and those who will become caregivers is to get that paperwork in place. Absolutely, um, because even if you are even if you are a direct relative. If you're dealing with an adult, you're going to need to have power of attorney and those kind of things. Otherwise, it's going to be so much more difficult. Absolutely. That's a crucial point. And, you know, even if you are, you know, the direct by blood um, daughter or son or what have you, then um, it can still be a challenge. So that's a really great point that you bring up. And I think that's what saved saved me in many instances um, and being able to get care sooner rather than than later with having that paperwork in place and my father-in-law having both my husband and I as power of attorney. Yeah, we had the same type of situation with Bobby was the primary and then I was the secondary because she was with him basically 24-7 and took the lion's share of the caregiving herself. And sometimes I was his best friend and sometimes he didn't like me very yeah, much. Yeah, you were not so much her best, his best friend. <laughs> One of the things that Bobby talks about a lot is having a care team in place. Did you have anything like that uh, where there was some folks in the family to share the load with you as the caregiver? So primarily I had my my husband. So he my, my husband is actually an RCIS. He works in the cath lab here in um, McKinney, Texas. And so he is um, accustomed to dealing with emergent situations and, you know, people coming in with heart attacks and that sort of thing. He has a background as a paramedic. And um, so when there was an emergency that could be managed at home, then I would always call him and he would come home from work to, to help to help deal with it. And so that was very helpful. And then, of course, you know, being his dad, a lot of the the travel and, you know, just having him over for dinner, the everyday stuff, then my husband would be there as much as possible. But because he was on call so often, it was difficult to rely on, rely on that because at any moment he might have to go back in. So, um, so what we ended up doing after a period of time was, hiring someone to help. And as I'm sure you guys know, uh, and so many caregivers know who are looking for the right kind of help, that can be that can be a challenge. And so we went through <laughs> a series of folks 
before we found um, someone who was reliable and, and could help us. Well, I can certainly understand that. I had I had yeah. a I had a real problem letting go. I in fact sometimes it was even difficult for me to walk away uh, and let Mike take over. Sometimes I would be exhausted, <laughs> and he would say to me, "Why don't yeah. you just get out of the house and and go to the movies or something?" But I didn't find that restful, and I didn't find it entertaining because I was wondering what was going on back at home. And because I was so concerned that only I could control this and only I could make sure that things went they, the way they were supposed to. And I have to yeah. say, um, a couple of times I would go home and, and he would be sleeping and he hadn't had his medicine or he didn't have his meal on time. And I would be absolutely livid and didn't hesitate <laughs> to let Mike know that. Oh, no. But the, <laughs> the fact of the matter is... It really didn't make that much of a difference, except occasionally, you know, his dad would think, well, well, Mike doesn't make me do this or Mike didn't Mike <laughs> let me get away with this. And, and then, you know, the anger would start all over again in the midst of trying to manage the unmanageable. I was doing everything I could to manage it. And it it took a toll on me. Also, the opposite of that is true, too. I would come home from work and he would say, you know what she was making me do or you know what she did or you know what she insisted that I did or you know what she wouldn't let me have. She's controlling me. She's controlling me. And then I, and then I would back her up and he would say, she's controlling you, too. <laughs> and he would go to his room well, and basically slam the door. I remember the one, oh day, my the one day he looked at me and he said, you're a woman, and in, in, in the old country, women are second-class citizens. And I looked back at him, and I said, you realize you're in my house now? <laughs> and uh, the look on his ah, face, of, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> he, didn't, yes. he didn't pull that one again. <laughs> one of the things with my dad was he had what Bobby called stubborn old Italian disease. Oh, Did you have anything like that with uh, some, some challenges just overcoming the situation at hand? Well, um, we didn't have that disease in particular. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some other, you know, first of all, it's really difficult when you're, when you're managing so much and, and, and when you create a routine to help you to manage the unmanageable, right? then, um, then trying to keep that, routine in place is, is often what helps keep the keeps us sane. Right. And so it's no wonder you had frustration when, you know, things went outside of that that routine and the worry of whether you're there face to face, physically present or you're away, you know, you try to lay down and take a nap, that worry is still with you. So 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 I I, I understand the the frustration of having to deal with that. I did a lot of praying, a lot of crying. Yeah. Good yeah. bit of drinking. Yeah, that the wine <laughs> came into play. <laughs> do you remember, Mike? Do you remember the day your mom, your dad, yes. accused me of being a drunk? Yeah. So, so oh our kitchen, gosh. our kitchen is right <laughs> off the garage, and I came in through the garage, and they were both sitting at the table, and there was a glass of wine in front of Bobby, and he looked at me and says. You, you don't know what goes on around here when you're not here. And I went, what? He says, 
Look at her. See that? She drinks. She's a drunk in his Italian oh, accent. And I, and I looked at Bobby wow. and I looked at him and I reached over and I took the glass and I took a sip. I said, she drinks because of you sometimes. <laughs> and then you picked up a glass and said you were going to have some too. Yep. And he said. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> and your dad says, see, she makes you drunk too. <laughs> And you know what? That's one of our favorite moments with yes. him. It really is. Yes. At the time, it was not, but now it is. Yeah. When you know, it's like raising your children. Growing up, you think, "Oh my God, am I ever going to get through this?" But when you look back, you look at all the all the things that really stressed you out, and they were funny when you look back. But at the yeah. time, they didn't seem funny. <laughs> I absolutely that hindsight, that retrospect kind of opens up the door to humor that it's hard to find when you're in that moment and so stressed out. So, yes, it is. It's they're, they're, um, in family dynamics, there's, there's always going to be that kind of pushback in one form or another. And um, to answer your question, I think it came up most frequently around John Sr.'s medication because, you know, it was, he was on their carbidopa, levodopa combination. And so, and he would take his medication in any which way he felt like would work at the time. And so there were, so there were issues with him stiffening up or all of a sudden the medication kicking in and he was tripping over himself. And so just going back there, I think that was really one of the biggest issues was trying to get a, a handle on his, on his medication so that we didn't have as many problems with him falling. We, we experienced the, the medi- medication issues also. Well, yeah. he was taking 18 different pills every day, oh. uh, which I think now probably should never happen. But many of them he'd been on for, for many, many years. The thing of it is, is that I guess accepting that there's going to be a limit to what you can control. That's such an important and, message. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and remaining open to the fact that even though your intent is to make sure that your carry is safe, your loved one is safe, and that you're preventing, uh, trying to prevent problems or help to improve their quality of life, that for as long as they're able to make decisions for themselves to continue to make sure to have conversations with them, um, so that they're involved, they're as fully involved in their care as possible. I think that sometimes it's less about the medication and more about having a sense of control because, you know, um, he lost so much of his independence. He used to be a pilot. He flew all over the world. Um, he did ballroom dancing. He was just so active. And so there was so little left that he had control over. So I think looking for ways for to, to help your loved one find what they still have control over, what they can still manage is important and might 
lessen the intensity of pushback over some of those hard decisions that need to be made. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to give you a little bit of time um, to share where our listeners can be able to contact you, what your website is, and find the support that you're so willing to offer to people that need it so desperately. Sure, absolutely. Uh, So my website is caregivertransitions.com. And um, primarily I'm working, focusing on the North Central Texas area and continuing to provide resources and support in uh, those communities. However, um, there are also ideas and resources that can help family caregivers wherever they are. And um, sometimes it's, it's often just the realization that there are resources available and connecting to those resources. And so I welcome everyone to, to visit and would love to connect with your audience. And we will put a link back to your website and contact information on the rogerthat.show. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Listening to you share the information that you have is very valuable to our listeners, and we really appreciate that. Well, thank you, Bobby and Mike. This is, has been a pleasure, and it's wonderful that you're doing this to help connect more people to resources and support. Congratulations again to you both. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help or if you have a question you'd like us to address. To find out more about us, more about my dad, Roger, or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. 